Guys, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, and I'll read you a few verses out of there. We're going to start at verse 11, and I'll read all the way through verse 21. You follow in your copies as I read. Galatians chapter 2 at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So we ourselves are, Jew, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be, in, to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, oh, that endures forever. Guys, we're going to exit this series that we've been in most of the summer where we entered this series, and that's at Galatians 2.20. <clears throat> it was this text that some of you might remember. I really don't expect you to remember, but uh, this is the seventh uh, of eight uh, in, the, in the series. But back in number one, uh, it was Galatians 2.20 that, that prompted this whole thing. It was, it was these words in verse 20, the life I now live in the flesh. Those are the words that drew me to this whole subject. Paul is describing the life that he was presently living, his Christian experience. He was, he was trying to give some instructions as to how that thing is lived. And so I was drawn to that because, gang, I want as much instruction as you will give me. I, I need help. I need some direction. And so Paul says, the life that I now live in the flesh as a Christian, I live this way. So that drew me to this text, and, and um, we're going we're gonna to leave this series where we entered it, right there. I have purposefully uh, avoided a certain section of the verse. I, I did so so that I could come back to it later. I wanted to use this portion, this section, this clause in verse 20. Um, I, I wanted to save it until last and use it as kind of my exit strategy. 
So for two Sundays, this week and next Sunday, I, I want to leave you with what I'm calling the necessary must. I thought a long time about that. The necessary must of, of Christian living, which will require us to take a look at the role that it's played by the Holy Spirit of God. We'll get a bit of that this week and then more next week. Let me first show you um, the reference in verse 22 to the Holy Spirit. You may have missed it when I read it, but he is mentioned in verse 20. Um, we'll, let me show you where it's mentioned, and then we'll develop the thought uh, today and next week. Look at verse 20 with me. Um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There it is. Now, gang, does Christ live in you? I thought he was seated at the right hand of God the Father. Does Christ live in you? Well, yes and no. If you if you could do this real fast and find Romans, which is towards the other end. Um, Romans chapter 8. Let me show you what Paul does in Romans 8. The question is, does, does Christ live in you? Look, look at this, verse 9. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong. Do you see what Paul did there? He called the Spirit the Spirit, then he calls him the Spirit of God, and then he calls him the Spirit of Christ. Gang, here's the point. Christ is living in us by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's probably not a new thought for a lot of you. But in case it is, let me, let me say a little bit more. Gang, redemption is a Trinitarian project. All three persons are intimately involved in redemption. But the person of the Trinity that is assigned, or at least the one we normally think of, to dwell in you and to bring you safely home is God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Each of the persons of the Trinity have a task which we normally associate with them. For instance, who died on the cross? Well, that would be God the Son. We don't pray like this. We don't pray, oh, Father, thank you for dying on the cross. That's called patropassionism. We don't pray like that, or at least shouldn't. Because each person, which person of the Trinity do you normally think of as creating the heavens and the earth? That would be God the Father. But the Son and the Spirit are both involved. But each person of the Trinity has a task, an assignment that we normally associate with Him. So, the, the person of the Trinity assigned with the task of dwelling within the life of the believer and, and ushering us safely home to our Heavenly Father is the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when Paul in Galatians 2 says, 
Um, but Christ who lives in me, that's a reference to God the Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Trinity are no more three than they are one. They're no more one than they are three. Do you get all that? Is that all clear for you? <laughs> well, uh, we can't uh, spend all of our time on the Trinity this morning, but suffice it to say, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, dwells in every believer and in li- the lives that we are now living are uniquely empowered and enabled by what He is up to, what He is doing within us. Which hopefully will become clear as we go. Being born of the Spirit, how does that man live this life? Are you with me? Have I lost you yet? Having been born of the Spirit, having the Spirit of God dwell within us, how do we then live this life? Well, let's see what we can find out uh, that Paul says or describes in Galatians. Guys, flip over a page and take a look with me at um, chapter 1. Let me read you verses 11 and 12. Um, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, gang, Paul begins this book of Galatians by saying that the gospel that he preached was not of human origin. He didn't learn it seated at anybody's feet. It was something that was given to him uh, by direct revelation uh, he claims to have a gospel that he's preaching that was taught him by Christ by revelation. All right? That's what that says. From there over to chapter 2, verse 10, he defends that. He defends it by basically telling us of his whereabouts for the uh, following three years. Then we come to our text that I read you just earlier, beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul tells us of a very ugly incident between him and, of all people, Peter. Did you, did you, did you hear it when I read it? It begins in verse 11. When Cephas, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Can't you just see that, ladies and gentlemen? By the way, it says later, it's in public. Here's the two leaders of the church, nose to nose, in public, having a spat. Really, that's not a very good word. It's more than a spat. So, uh, what are they fighting over? What, what, is, what is Paul upset with Peter about? Well, let me explain that. I got a book in my library called Great Church Fights. Everybody likes a good church fight, don't you? Well, here's a church fight for you. Here's what happens. Paul, uh, Peter was, um, you know, after all that had been revealed to him, Peter is eating supper with some Gentiles. So a group of representatives from James, we're told, come down to Antioch where Peter is. When Peter realizes that James and his boys, the Jews, are coming down to Antioch to visit with him, He gets all hot and bothered, and we're told in verse 12, that he drew back 
and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. <clears throat> do, do you see that? Do you get that? I mean, he's just having a good old time. Then he hears the, the head honchos are coming from Jerusalem. Uh, James and his friends, the Jewish guys. He is a Jew, but he's eating with Gentiles. And so they're coming down to pay a little visit, and he separates himself from the Gentiles, fearing uh, the circumcision party. Now, he's not fearing they're going to beat him up. He's, ref- he's fearing rejection. Their frowns. He's, um, he's afraid that they're not going to like him. So, um, fearing their disapproval and their frowns of rejection, he separates himself from the Gentiles. And Paul is really upset about that. Um, now, gang, think with me. What would make somebody separate himself from another group of Christians? What would make him do that? <laughs> well, pretty, I think it's pretty clear, by way of implication, what made him do that is, I'm, I'm, I'm just better than them. On the basis of certain things that I have done or haven't done, I'm just better than them. And I don't want to be caught hobnobbing with those people because those people have not done what I have done. Because they, based on some kind of spiritual standard, because they have not done what I have done, I am not going to be caught dead in the same room with those people who have not attained spiritually to what I have attained. Why? Some of those people, did you know what they did? Why? They have, they're, they, they're, and I'm not going to, because I haven't done that. I'm not going to be associated and rub shoulders with them. So, I'm going to separate myself so that my group can approve of me. And so they'll smile on me. And they'll think that I'm really a spiritual giant guy. So based on some code, some spiritual standard, some standards of performance that I have attained, that makes me better than you folks who haven't attained that. Don't you understand that I did this? Or I've never done that. And I would never dream of doing that. So that makes me better. Wasn't that ugly? 
Aren't you glad that Christians don't live like that anymore? Of course we do. And for the same reasons, we think our performance is better than their performance. Therefore, I damn them and applaud me and all others like me. And my estimate of me and of you is based on some kind of performance standard that we have agreed upon in my church. That's what Peter did. Now guys, if you're asleep, wake up. Because I want you to see something in verse 14 that is absolutely a killer. A killer in a good sense. It's a, it's a positive killer. Look at what Paul says. Gang, this is, this is so wonderful. But when I, that's Paul, when I, Paul, saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the law. Does your Bible say that? Doesn't say that, does it? When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the standards at my church. Does your Bible say that? When I saw that their conduct, conduct, you know what conduct is? It's, it's how you live. It's your behavior. When I saw that their behavior, that their conduct was not in keeping with the truth of the gospel, not the law. What is it that gives us our standards, ladies and gentlemen? It's not a law. It's the gospel. My conduct, my lifestyle, my behavior is to be in concert, not with a code, not with a law, not with a standard. My lifestyle is to be in keeping with the gospel that I know and love. You see, our, 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 our mistake, I think, is that we tend to think of the gospel as that message by which we enter into a relationship with God. It is that. But it is so much more than that. It, it, is, it is the animus. It is the compulsion. It is the drive. It is the motive to my living. What propels me as a believer? The gospel. <laughs> Not the code. Guys, I, I, I thought of this my, my own little self. It's not very good, but it's the best I can do. Think of a hydroelectric electric dam. You know, like the Hoover Dam. You know what happens? The, the water flows over these turbines, and these turbines spin, and it goes to the, the, the turbines in the generator, and the generator turns that, that spinning into electricity, and they pump that electricity over to my house, by which I flip on the switch and lights go on. Think of the gospel as water. 
as the water that turns certain spiritual cranks in me. And what comes of that is choices and behaviors and decisions. What drives me? Not the law. It's the gospel. I I read a story about a a first century Stoic philosopher. His name was Epictetus. He was teaching his students. And I thought this was kind of crude, but you you like crude every now and then. Um, He was teaching his students kind of the same thing. And he was saying, "Uh, gentlemen, have you noticed that the shepherd, excuse me, have you noticed that the sheep in their efforts to impress the shepherd, do not take the grass that they've eaten and vomit it up at his feet. No, no. They take the grass, digest it, and turn it into milk and wool. Guys, that's what we're supposed to do with this gospel. We're supposed to eat it all up. Therefore, we get ourselves a relationship with God everlastingly. And then as we digest the beauty of this gospel, it turns into behavior. Guys, look, look at what, that's it, that is what Paul is doing in verse 20. He says, the life that I now live... I live by faith in what? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is that? That's the gospel. (laughs) The life that I now live, I live by an ever-continuing commitment of faith in the Jesus who loved me and gave himself up for me. The more I digest that, the more I produce wool and milk. Gang, there aren't enough words to explain the beauty of that, at least in my book. But one thing that you've got to see The one thing that so influenced how Paul lived this one life, the one thing that so influenced how he lived was the knowledge that he was loved. Do you see that? The life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm loved by someone who not accidentally but willfully died in my place. All right, guys, stay with me. If you can find Deuteronomy real quick, Deuteronomy 1. Guys, do you remember the story in the history of Israel? She's, um, she's been 
you know, she's part of the Red Sea. They've gone through the Red Sea and now they're... And so God says, all right, there's the promised land. Go get it. And so Moses is still alive and he appoints 12 spies. You remember that? They appoint the 12 spies to go spy out the land and come back with a report about the land. And the 12 spies come back and 10 of them say, can't do it. Oh, no, no, no. The sons of Anak over there can't get over there. Ah, can't go. And so they end up, you know, spending 40 years wandering around. You know, Joshua and Caleb come back and said, let's go get them. But they said, no, 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 we can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. And I want you to see something, guys. Look at verse 26 of Deuteronomy 1. Deuteronomy 1.26, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt. My brother and sister in Christ, do you know what lies at the base of your soul? There is this knowing fear that God really hates you. After all these people had experienced parting the Red Sea, 12 plagues, all that business, they finally come out there. God says, go in. And, and, and they say, no, can't do it. Got something. You know why? God hates us. God hates me. Ladies and gentlemen, the thing that prompted the Apostle Paul to live the life that he lived was that he finally got over believing that God hated him. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who, 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 who did what? He loved me. And he gave himself for me. If Peter had known that, he wouldn't have feared the rejection of a party from James. Why does he need to fear the rejection of people when, he's know, when he knows that he's so loved by Christ? Why pretend to be something that I'm not so that I can gain your approval when I know that I am his? Why do I have to run from my sin? Why do I have to be so... Don't tell them I did that. I don't want anybody to know I did that. Because, you know, they might. Gang, our conduct is to be in concert with the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel says this. Jesus Christ died in your place and he loves you. And my lifestyle is to be in harmony with that. Not the code. Not the law. Not the standards. I daily, actually more frequently than that, I daily go back and remind myself he loved me and he gave himself for me. Guys, if you and I are ever going to make any progress, you've got to know that change is not rooted in a set of rules or a body of information or a doctrinal system or behavioral techniques. Change will come when we are convinced of a powerful new reality that has overtaken us. 
we are personally united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who right now dwells within me. And he's not leaving. We go back. And we go back. And we go back and back and back and back and back and back. And I claim that by faith over Gang, when I know that I'm loved, what do I do? I'll spill my blood for you when I know you love me. When my wife knows she's loved, she'll spill her blood for me. I try to please the people that I know who love me. Ain't that, isn't that just true to human? Isn't that, I try to please the people I know who love me? Is there swirling around in your soul someplace based on my poor performance? God really hates me. And so we do all this silly kind of shenanigans trying to earn his love when his love is on display right there. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Tell you one story and I'm done. Um, this is another story I got out of that Mark Buchanan book I mentioned last week. But Mark Buchanan tells the story about uh, taking his family to visit Niagara Falls. I've never been to Niagara Falls. I'd like to see this after I. But anyway, but he went to Niagara Falls, took his family, and he went to the Canadian side. Now, I, of course, I hadn't been there, so I don't know the difference between the Canadian and American side, but um, he, he said, I was, I was not prepared for what I saw. He said it was, it was far greater, far more, far more grandeur than I, than I had ever dreamed it was. And, and, and from this point, I'm going to quote him. He says, I was agog at the wild terror and pure beauty of it. The spectacle of white torrent hurtling into a deep chasm. I decreased and God and his creation increased. We stood a long time, my wife and three children and I, in the drenching mist that rises up day and night from water crashing against rock. <laughs> I like this guy. But he says, now, we didn't do this. We didn't go to the American side. But over on the American side, uh, you know, the Niagara Falls is, is created by the convergence of the Welland River and the Niagara River. And right where these two rivers converge... There's a bridge, and boaters can go at least under that bridge for a, a short way. So, you know, you go too far and you're in big trouble, but uh, you can go, you can, you can boat under this bridge. He says, but on this bridge, it's on the American side now, on this bridge there are two large signs on this bridge. Signs for boaters. And the signs say, first, there are two questions. 
to voters. Do you have an anchor? The other sign says, do you know how to use it? My brother and sister in Christ, do you have faith? Do you know how to use it? Father, grant your people the most glorious insight to you and the provisions of the gospel so that we can stop all the foolishness and get down to the business of living a life that is in concert with the gospel. We pray it, of course, in Jesus' name.